1: Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
0: Today's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's Toilet math Solution. Embarrassed to wander to the water closet... Going to the loo make you feel like a loser? With Minerva's Toilet Mask Solution, you can press to the powder room without anyone knowing your personals. Minerva's Toilet Mask Solution easily conceals in a gentleman's pocket or lady's handbag and covers the face to obscure identities you carouse to the crapper. No lame excuses needed. Who's that stranger headed down the hall with the full bowels ready for release? No one I know! Minerva's Toilet Mask Solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. <laughs> Why is it so difficult to demolish the ancient temples dedicated to our dark bowels, anchored deep in previous cruelty and malice? They don't sweep away so simply, do they? Frustration and rage are not enough. At some point, sacrifice is necessary. It will not crumble until something of us crumbles. What festering remnants of past lives do we leave behind as we try to hide, vanishing into calm dark nights? The Sado Voce resists. No man nor machine can pull down its walls, tempered by the satisfaction of mocking the Overland Dust Company landlords and the absent baron of music, the maestro Domenico Fontana. Return to the Dark House of Whispers for an aria and then our finale. Let this be our final moments in this cursed home as we return to the Sato Voce. Furious at the lack of progress of the machines. Team. All four landlords of the Overland Dust Company flung the doors of the carriage open, stepped into the heavy rain. Mr. Sconce, Mr. Fend, Mr. Tinnis, and Mr. Theegan looked to the last truck whose bed was filled with large, heavy barrels and pointed to the house, crying out in unison, Burn the Voce! Barrels of kerosene were rolled off the back of the truck. Cans were filled and doused soaking through the lawn. A few of the men gathered their empty bottles and ripped rags and made makeshift firebombs to light and throw at the walls of the house. The foreman lit torches. Mr. Sconce took a torch himself and with fury in his eyes threw it on the grass, igniting the brilliant snaking fire line up to the house, fighting against the rain. It erupted in an orange and blue pool flame around the house and teased up its walls, threatening to consume everything and everyone in it. Locked in the attic, four children, Temperance and Antigone Fulcrum, Maisie Myers, and Enoch Green, had just escaped the claws of the three fiendish brothers. They'd been chased up from the kitchen and headed for the attic in the hopes they would find a window to escape out into the rain. There was such a window, a small octagonal one filthy with grime, letting in barely enough light to see. The light was taking on a light blue and orange flicker from below that was growing with intensity helping them make out the contents of the room. Enoch, are you okay? Are you injured? Maisie asked him. Enoch didn't respond. She checked him over and he seemed to be fine, besides smelling of the foul soup. The room was much bigger than expected. Open wood boards, broken music instruments, a harp, broken pianos, a cello, a viola. Some snapped, some stabbed, some stomped on someone with use, and others seemingly smashed in rage. Temperance had some of the candle left over from earlier. She used a match to light the stub and moved further into the room. Just catching the candlelight, the form of a giant graceful birdcage in the center of the attic floor, taking up most of the room, Its swooped bell top reached almost to the ceiling. It's a birdcage of some sort. It's gigantic. You could fit an elephant in there, As she got closer, she could just make out something in the center of the cage. On a perch swing sat a large bird skeleton. There's bones. It's a huge bird in there. It has to be an ostrich. Or it could be an emu, Antigone said. Or an emu, Temperance was proud. She agreed. Stay back, she said to Antigone. Temperance approached closer and held up the candle to look at the bones. The light flickered over the dusty bird skeleton. There was a moment of quiet, and then Temperance came rushing back at full speed. That's not a bird! That's not a bird! I don't know what that is, but it's not a bird! What? Maisie said. She took the candle from Temperance, approached, and leaned in close to the bars, sticking her hand through to get the candle close. Oh, I see what you mean, Rennie. These aren't the bones of a bird. They're the bones of a person. It appears to be a woman, I think. Her bones have been rearranged into the shape of a bird. It's gruesome. Of course, Temperance said. It just keeps getting worse. Yes, it does. In the belly of the bird, there are smaller bones, too. Renny, come here. Temperance leaned in amazing, and she whispered bones of an infant, rearranged to fill out the body of the bird skeleton, like mother and child. Some awful things happened in this house. Let's just pile up this rubbish until it reaches that window and leave this place forever. We can all have tea and scones out of the rain at Halat House. We have Enoch, and we can just pretend none of this is here, and these old geezers can starve on the rats until the end of time. Enoch approached the cage and pulled on the door. It rattled, but the cage door was secure. No, Enoch, step away from the cage. We need to climb up to the window. Enoch pressed his head into a gap and scooted between the bars. No, Enoch, come back here. Don't touch that. Enoch stepped to the swing and bones and touched the bone sculpture. Ooh, Enoch, come back here this instant. Or no, no, no more egg and crust for you. Enoch ignored them, lost in his own world. Enoch, come. I let you play with my music box. Antigone said, There's no rod on those bones. They've been cleaned before they were put in there, Maisie observed. Enoch stuck his finger in the hollow of the main bar of the swing, wiggled it around a bit, and then slowly slid out a tight-rolled piece of parchment that had been hidden in there. He cautiously handed the paper to Maisie and scooted back away from the bars. Thank you, Enoch, but please come out of there. Maisie unrolled the paper and held it to the candlelight. It's a letter that someone hid in the swing. Enough! Maisie, enough! We don't have to do this and waste time while they found some way to knock down that door. It doesn't matter. Let's just climb out of here before one of us is actually hurt or worse. Rennie of knew where Enoch was. I had to come here anyway, and I didn't want to do it alone, especially without Fitz. fits. I have to know what happened here for the DOC. The Grams want to know. If this paper is a piece of the puzzle, then I need it. You knew where Enoch was, Temperance said with gritted teeth. I didn't know he was going to come here tonight. I had to come on my own anyway. The Grams asked me to. I was on my way when I stopped in to see you. Normally it's just me and Fitz, but without him especially, I needed your help. I need to read this. You dragged me and Antigone into harm's way because you didn't want to be alone? Read your little note, and then we drag ourselves up to that window and crawl out of here, and then never speak to me again, Maisie Myers. Maisie didn't say anything more. She just started to read the letter. I want to tell you about my first and only love. My name is Katerina Fontana, and it's a fair guess that you've never heard my name. I don't know who you are, but this is my letter to you. I don't have a diary, so this will have to suffice as my one and only entry. I want to tell you, tell anyone really, about my first and only love. I am the daughter of the maestro Domenico Fontana, and sister to my three brothers, Giuseppe, Alessandro, and Vincenzo. I am not allowed to say or write my mother's name for fear of reprisal, even now, even when I literally have nothing left to be taken from me. I was conceived in the joy of my father's success, not long after building this house for my mother and eldest brother, Vincenzo, we were born in rapid sequence, almost directly one after the other, with me being the last of the four. Flush with money and wine and inspiration, my parents expanded the family as quickly as possible. And the house was filled with music. My brothers all prodigies from early on. Giuseppe a master of violin, Alessandro a pianist, and Vincenzo had the sweetest voice of a siren had no ear for music and was not regarded much by my father. He busy writing new operas for the Palace Theater, fostering my brother's musical talents. Around the time I was just finishing my studies, the tuner and his assistant visited to attend to the house pianos. As they left our home, the assistant Ramon returned together a forgotten tool. I met him at the door, and he smiled at me with a clever smirk daubing his flat cap on his head and brushing some of his auburn hair out of his eyes. My heart fluttered, and I blushed. Father pulled me away from the door, slammed it shut, and scolded Ramon. That would be the last time I would ever be allowed near the front door of our home. One night just before bed, I was carrying a lamp up the stairs and looked out a window on the landing. I saw Ramon outside in the bushes, waving his cap at me. I smiled and pointed him down to the salon window near the rose bushes. I slipped out the side door and greeted him. He had a small handmade music box he'd crafted in his apprenticeship, and he played it for me. He asked me my name. I did not know my mother watched me, but I was able to hide the music box before she locked me in my room. That would be the last time I was allowed on the first floor of our home ever again. Three nights without supper and I learned that my father received news that his mother had passed. We had never heard of her, but father was despondent and withdrew. I was released, but it was no better in the rooms of our home. My father grew increasingly erratic. The walls of the house started to ooze a black ochre jelly. That smelled of the sea and rot my father started yelling screaming odd things throwing things he grew frustrated his work losing any craft or elegance whatever he was making this new effort this new opera required voices so high that the city's talent could not match the notes in their auditions there was no one to send away for and so in his increasing madness he took it upon himself to create the voices he needed Late one night, my father cornered Giuseppe. He took him into the study and fed him sweet wine until Giuseppe couldn't speak or stand, and then tying him down, sawed with a kitchen blade and removed his charms and created his first castrato soprano. After that evening, Alessandro hid all of the sharp items in the house. Not wanting to create such a mess, and knowing the other two boys feared what was coming, he overpowered Alessandro and tied him up in the basement and used piano wire to tie off his charms until they expired after several days from atrophy, creating his second castrato. Vincenzo, my eldest brother, no matter how beautiful his alto singing, quickly grew jealous of the attention and fawning our father gave to the two other brothers and their perfectly pitched singing voices. And so Vincenzo self-gelded alone in his bed, but it was too late. Vincenzo was too old and had already started into manhood. All he managed to do was ruin his bedsheets and enrage father. My father, now called the Mad Maestro, rejected him, and the four of them slowly went mad together. My father disappeared completely after a performance at the Palace Theater. Rumors had spread about what he had done to his sons, and the crowd jeered at him the opening night of the performance. My mother was gone before morning. My father sat drunk in his study for one week. Whispering to himself in sharp, livid tones. And then he was gone too. Ramon returned, determined to remove me from the house and marry me. To start a life in a family. I escaped out of a second floor window with a tied sheet. We married in secret and had two nights together two nights before my brothers accosted us. They killed the piano tuner, bludgeoned Ramon with a hammer, and dragged me back to the house. The centerpiece of my father's failed show, a giant birdcage had been removed from the palace theater and reassembled in our attic. And that's where they locked me away. They spread newspapers along the floor, brought bowls of gruel, ends of bread, and stems and husks of vegetables for me to eat. I lay in that cage for longer than I know. I do not know what happened to Ramon, but my belly swelled with our first child while I was in that cage. Malnourished, I gave birth to our daughter Aloysia, a name we had spoken of even in our short time together. She was everything, and I promised myself we would get out of this house so she could one day meet her father. For a day, they let my cage door open by accident, and I climbed to the small window I have here in the attic could see the park and the pond and the people from my window. I showed Aloysia the sky and the ducks. I naively looked for Ramon, pretending to see him in the crowd, pretended a moment it was us strolling along down at the pond edge. The next day, my brothers discovered their mistake and never left it unlocked again. They were unkempt and their eyes vacant. They stopped speaking in words and relied more on grunts and shrill shrieks. They took Aloysia I could hear her screams through the floorboards, and then... Then I think they stopped, but I'm not sure. I think I could still hear them, in me, even if not in my ears. I grew weaker, and the food scraps became less and less. I think my brothers ran out of food themselves. Where's Aloysia? I can only hope they gave her away to some other family with a pantry bursting with food and a house of warmth and music, like those lovely days we once had. And so it was here that I bore my child, and she lay in my arms and cried, and I had nothing to give her, and they stole her away. I lasted just long enough to see it, and then write this for the last of an old inkwell and feather. So I want to know darkness from that nothing place beyond the horizon inked with that barren ship to infect my father's heart what rage burned within him what monstrosity removed the tenders from my brothers why mustn't I leave what is so dangerous about my love about my child about my freedom why must it all be locked away everyone has forgotten my name and I will perish never having existed was I laughing or crying in this cage? I cannot tell anymore. I don't know who you are, if anyone will ever really read this. The black ochre seeped into the attic, and it now speaks to me, the way it spoke to my father. It calls to me to someplace far away, past the horizon, into the dark. It turns pain to poison. At first I resisted, but its music became sweet, the only thing that would draw out the cry. I do not want to turn to bitterness, but hearing my daughter scream for milk, and that scream turned into a sour note so shrill that it turned my blood to vinegar, and I could not hold it back any longer. I release you, Aloysia, as I myself release. I perish bent and broken and sour with my last thought, one of vengeance and retribution. I will take each tick of the metronome back that was stolen from me. I will drink of them as I deafen the strum of their heartstrings and puncture their ears. My poison will mute their voices. I will escape this cage from this prison, however long my remains have been locked in this place. Let it echo in the walls of this house, my pain. I will find my brothers and my father and my mother and their last gasping whispers would be the name katarina i will pull these boards down transforming this house into a pile of nothing and then myself away to that distant dark horizon into the cold nothing from whence this dark ship came and death katarina fontana The morbs, Temperance said. <laughs> I was right. They are brothers, Maisie said. Guess they don't have any avocados. <laughs> Ooh. Temperance said. This must be the sister. They're so twisted that they arranged the bones of her and her daughter into the skeletal bird sculpture. They must have been locked in this house all this time, feeding on bugs and rodents, losing their minds. I've been hearing you scream in the walls, Katerina so sad said antigone okay Maisie. will that satisfy the grams can we leave now temperance tried to drag a chunk of wood under the window to start building a pile to reach it the orange and blue flicker in the window brightened something is going on outside Maisie observed a crash at the door the, attic. the three castrati brothers slammed a bench into the door trying to ram it down Quickly, everyone, let's pile up broken instruments to reach that window. What about Enoch? Enoch, we don't have time for this. Crawl out of there. The way you came in, and let's go. Amazing Temperance threw broken bits on the pile as it reached higher up the wall towards the window. Enoch pushed his head back into the bars but got wedged in sideways, struggled to pull himself through. Antigone tried to help him, grabbed at his collar and yanked to get his head between the bars. But Enoch pulled away and moved away from the bars back into the cage. The door started pushing away from its hinges and the latch strained as the castrati attacked the door over and over again with the heavy bench antigone decided to go in after him and slip between the bars even though she was terrified she was trying to be brave and calmly coax him out of the bird cage and offered her hand come on enoch we can go over here and climb up she said the three castrati brothers burst into the room tossing the bench to the side and bearing down on the girls enoch spooked and ran past antigone knocking her over and hitting the music box out of her hands, and it tumbled to the floor of the cage. Antigone reached for it, but the music box popped open. The little glass container dropped out of the box and shattered, and Antigone froze. A dark venom soaked out of the petrified heart in the glass pieces. The venom reached for her kissing her fingers and pouring across her skin up her arm in streams and absorbed into Antigone's chest. Temperance and Maisie began to climb the rickety pile up to the window. They'd seen Enoch emerge from the cage and thought that Antigone was with them. What they didn't see was that Katerina's bird skeleton cracked at the joints and fell to the floor of the cage, the cage bars loosening at the bell and pulled away as it came apart. Little Antigone stood up taller with a vicious look in her eye. The Castrati froze. Vincenzo noticed her first, and then the others. They knew that look. Knew who possessed it. A cacophony slowly built as little Antigone's eyes glossed over. Her form darkening in the flicker of the increasing light from the window. The flames outside grew higher as Antigone left them. It seemed to levitate as the black ochre from the house board seeped upwards into the room, smelling of sea and rot. Antigone, a poor dock worker's daughter, stolen into the bowels of Ludlow and only just recovered. Her tiny sweetheart plucked from her chest and replaced with the petrified heart of denied love. And it goes how it always goes. The nightmare evolves. What started as a dark house at the end of the lane becomes something else entirely. Antigone was no longer. And in that inherited bitterness, her tiny dress darkened, now frayed and torn, The cage bars fell among the sculpted bones of Katerina and Aloysia Fontana. As Antigone's lips darkened and her eyes slipped over a milky white to match her brother's, little Antigone ceased to be, and born before us, the Sada Witch. Her discordant notes strum, frayed strings of tendon and sinew across the city. Our beloved gone, taken from us, fading music. The smashed instruments came to life. An orchestra of broken orphans calling for mother, shattered violins and pianos, timpani and horns, the piano wires screeching out and slithering across the floor to Garot and bind the Castrati brothers, strung up like three bellicose puppets, uncontrollably kicking their legs. The cacophonous shriek continued. Temperance Enoch and Maisie covered their ears. Maisie bled from her ears, phased with migraines, barely able to think. They tumbled down the stack and onto the floor in unbearable pain. Antigone! Temperance screamed, trying to get to her feet, to get to. But she couldn't stand. The whole house shook with a deep vibration, pulling the boards apart at the seams. Maisie crawled to Temperance and grabbed her arm. Rennie! The bracelet! What? The bells! The bracelet! You have to stop her or she'll kill us! It's not Antigone anymore, it's Katarina! No, Maisie, I can't hurt her. Look, she's in pain, we have to... Before she bursts our eardrums, ready. it's the blood of Katarina, it's poisoning her. She'll end us all. Do it! Temperance reluctantly held her wrist above her. She looked at Maisie. I hate you for this. I'm sorry Tig, I'm so sorry. Temperance gave it a hard twist, cranking the bell charms on her bracelet. The Sado Voce collapsed around them, the castrati lost in the rubble. The house collapsed inward, a dark cloud snuffing the fire, dropping the men and pushing them back off the lawn and into their trucks so the gale-force sea wind filled rot black smoke consumed the landlords. Until the park was consumed with a deafening silence. The legend evolves again. A ghost ship named the Sado Voce an opera named the Mare Nostrum. A whispering house hiding a forgotten girl. The legend does not remain still. And we give those whispers a name. The Sada Voce was no more. And the perils of the Sada Witch now released upon the city. I warned of no light. And I have none to give. We have only our aftermath left. The hush as everyone shuffles from the theater. On the next episode. Of Celine.